It's Wednesday, December 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Bill Barker. Good to see you. Good to be here. How's it going? It's going all right. Uh, BlackRock is going green. AMC Entertainment is going bankrupt. And one investor is going non-dairy. We're going to get to all that, but we're going to start with the deal of the day. Tilray and Afria, the Canadian cannabis companies, are merging. It is an all-stock deal that will result in the world's largest cannabis producer. Shares of both are up, and that's great if you bought shares of both these companies last week. But as you and I were talking about uh, earlier this morning, particularly in the case of Tilray, it has been a long bumpy ride down from the top uh yeah not not uh so many bumps as as a, a smooth descent a rapid descent um and very little uh bumping back up along the way now it did skyrocket i think it came public at 25 30 dollars a share something like that uh about two years ago Made its way to 150 a share almost immediately within the first couple of months. A lot of, uh, you know, people thinking everybody was going to start smoking marijuana all the time and buy all of it from Tilray. I guess uh, I don't know how it got to that price, but the stock market does strange things. Momentum investing does strange things, and you know, it's uh, made its way back down to you know nine dollars a share today. Uh, after going up 20%. So, really, why is that? I mean, there's no uh, economics, no positive economics so far to the business of Tilray. Uh, they have lost about uh, $500 million in the last 12 months um, in gap earnings, and that's off of $180 million in sales. So, for every dollar of sales, they're losing almost $3, uh, rewarding um, employees' management pretty generously. Uh, it's not like the product itself is all that expensive. It is, after all, uh, referred to accurately as a weed. Uh, so it's not that the inputs are that expensive. It's it's just uh, pursued growth uh, and pursued, uh, you know, that to the uh, expense of, of profits. So I think that the merger is going to be one in which uh, Tilray will no longer be managing the company, and uh, that's good for shareholders. I was going to say, is it possible that the resulting company actually um, has a much better track record, both as a business and as a stock, over the next few years than than what we've seen out of really both these companies in the last three years? Well, easy act to follow um, as to whether it's going to be a better business over the next couple of years uh, than the last couple. Uh, now, the growth... Uh, has been substantial because you go back two years ago to the time before it was public. You know they did raise some money and uh, make some acquisitions. Both these companies and Afria is actually more, much more uh, economically run, close to profitable. It depends on whether you're talking about you know gap profitability or not. It's not not gap profitable, but it's a lot closer and. So I think that the combined entity is going to allow them to save costs. Uh, Tilray does have some brand awareness, and so it's going to keep operating under that brand. Uh, you know, I think there's there's a future for the product. It just was not a wildly uh, investable product the way people thought when it they first got the chance to invest in it.
With more than $7.5 trillion under management, BlackRock is the biggest investor in the world. In his annual letter to CEOs earlier this year, Chairman and CEO Larry Fink made it clear that climate change was going to be a big part of how BlackRock invests. Uh, the company now says starting in 2021, it expects companies that it has a stake in to disclose their plans for transitioning to a lower carbon economy. Um, there were other details they laid out. Um, to me, the, the individual details are, are um, less interesting than the clarity with which Larry Fink and his team at BlackRock uh, are expressing here. The fact that they are just coming out and saying, this is how we're going to be investing. This is what we think is important. This is what is important to us. I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically, hey, you can do what you want. This is how we're going to be making our decisions. I mean, this is this is very transparent. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it's implemented. Uh, but there are sharp words uh, toward companies, both on their uh, diversity uh, for boards and um, for their treatment of, of the climate. And I think that uh, I think is expressing uh you know, an accurate perception that climate change is a defining factor in companies' long-term prospects and that they need to behave themselves to have everybody on board uh, in terms of investing. And there are some big players out there that can make a real difference in the way that they vote people on or off boards. And I think that uh, BlackRock... Seven trillion under management. Uh, what is that? Well, the global GDP is about eighty trillion. So uh, you know that that's a one year uh, one year annual production around the world, and you're talking about seven million seven trillion under management. I'm not sure uh, that that's the right comparison, but it's a way a way of beginning to scratch at how meaningful $7 trillion is when you decide to throw its weight around. Have you, uh, either personally or um, to the extent that you can disclose holdings, um, uh, particularly holdings in the past of uh, Motley Fool Asset Management, the funds that, that you work on, um, ever owned shares of BlackRock? Because I've personally never owned shares of a big bank, an asset management company, and I just Larry Fink is one of those people who every time he pops up on my radar, he, you know, in the media, he just strikes me as a very impressive person. Uh, yeah, no, we, we don't own any. Um, none of the portfolios that I'm aware of and the most up-to-date uh, disclosures. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's been a good uh, stock uh, It's been it's doubled in the last five years, which is... Uh, really good in the long long term but uh, not not some dramatic outperformer it's you know that's not its job really uh, the job is to uh, steward its capital and and protect it for its investors so uh, I mean the people who are giving it that seven trillion to invest rather than the people who are invested in the equity of the company I'm sure like many other Wall Street firms, um, you know, the the employees end up doing quite a bit better than than the uh, the shareholders of the BlackRock stock. But the shareholders have done pretty well, double in five years.
and just year to date up nearly 40%. AMC Entertainment had $5 billion in debt on the balance sheet, and that was before the pandemic. Then everything happened, uh, leading to this headline this morning, AMC could benefit from bankruptcy, comma, analysts say. Boy, that's... <laughs> Those are dire straits that you're in when bankruptcy is looking like a really great option. Well, Chapter 11, when you get to a reorganization in bankruptcy, that is uh, almost by definition a decision that you are going to be doing better by choosing to go uh, into Chapter 11 than not doing so. I don't see how they pay people back over the next year. $750 million coming due. Uh, how many days? Between now and then, are these theaters even going to be open? How many of them? Which parts of the country, the world? Uh, they took out debt in order to improve the, the theater experience, the seating, screens, things like that, uh, right before this all happened. So they didn't get any return on their initial investment in the short term. And you know, the long term for theaters looks more and more dire uh, as more companies are putting their products uh, directly in, onto streaming, uh, and and maybe exclusively so. Uh, I wouldn't. I would not wish upon uh, any friend work in the uh, theater industry right now. Uh, and and long term, I think it's going to be extremely challenging. And you know, if anybody ends up figuring out a winning way to run theaters profitably for investors, I'll be very impressed. We talk from time to time about any given business's ability to administer pricing power, uh, different levers they can pull. Uh, in the case of AMC Entertainment and other theater chains, uh, jacking up the price of popcorn, uh, that's, uh, that's worked in the past. It doesn't seem like that's going to work in, in the future. Well, it, you know, once you've got somebody in the theater, they've already um, committed, you know, that maybe that babysitter, uh, maybe the, the meal beforehand. Uh, I think people are not uh, going out to the theater as a, a cheap night out anymore. And so maybe charging twelve, fifteen dollars for popcorn, whatever it is, uh, which is uh, we were talking about this. This um, the highest margin product in the history of mankind is movie theater popcorn. I'm just asserting that there may be data to support me. There may not be. But uh, popcorn itself is free. You know, I think people pay you to take popcorn kernels. Right. It's they're they're everywhere. And then if you can manage to pop them and sell them for twelve bucks, you've done an incredible job of multiplying your input into profits. Uh, the problem is getting people into the theaters to then buy that popcorn. Yeah, I think that's a, a I don't want to say a safe bet, but I think staking out like I'm, the, the debate is what's the highest margin consumer product out there? I'm I'm coming to the table with movie popcorn. I feel like you've, you're holding good cards if you come to the table with movie popcorn. There may be aren't weren't there like some bars that were were like selling air, like certain like fragranced air that you would go oxygen or something like that. That might that might be on the same page. Maybe 
I don't know. I mean, those those tanks have to be kind of heavy. There's a labor cost involved there. I, 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 I still th- like if I'm holding if my cards are movie popcorn and your cards are the flavored air. I like my cards better than yours. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're you're a huge theater goer when uh, when it's safe to do so. Um, you know what 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 do you think is a, like the maximum number of movies you'll see in a theater? 2022 I, I think there are ways to make this work i think the um again the 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 part of this story that's not getting a ton of attention um and it makes sense in in terms of what we do because we focus on publicly traded entities but it's everybody whose job depends on box office receipts so Tom Cruise is not publicly traded, but I guarantee you, he and everyone else who is on screen, uh, even if you're just a, a, you know, uh, someone in a background scene, they all care greatly about box office receipts. The actors, the writers, the directors. It's why Christopher Nolan went nuts when uh, Warner came out and said, all of our movies in 2021 are going to HBO Max. Um, and and you could make a pretty good case for the fact that Warner really didn't go about this the right way in terms of the the Christopher Nolan's the, sort of the the actors and directors that they were dealing with. Um, so I, I I would not be in the same way that I would not be quick to buy shares of AMC Entertainment. I would also not be quick to write off the uh, the movie theater. Uh, business. It'll probably look different. It'll probably be smaller. Um, but I think that that scarcity um, may be the thing that saves the movie theater experience. Um, again, there, there are a lot of people who depend on this. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, I don't think it's to be underestimated. Well, it may just be almost entirely sort of tentpole things. And Tom Cruise lives in a sort of rarefied world in, in many ways. Um, but also being somebody who's big enough to open a movie. Uh, and the vast majority of actors uh, are getting great work on TV right now and are not necessarily uh, looking toward being a movie star as the ultimate achievement in, in an acting career. Uh, I'm, I'm sure... Most have grown up with that being the the dream, but uh, you know the the quality of work that you can find uh, on uh, the various platforms that stream, I think, is is awfully enticing. And you you know the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies, there's always going to be a movie theater, uh, you know, a market for them. Although you know Star Wars is finding out there's a an awfully good streaming market for product that otherwise would have been movie theater quality uh here's here's one here's one potential ripple effect in 2021 for the movie business uh because netflix doesn't give out data they are very protective of their data and so there are um produce movie producers who work with netflix who will tell you um, oh, yeah, I have no idea how many people have seen this. Um, and when Netflix talks about, keep in mind, when Netflix talks about, hey, 
50 million people have streamed this movie. Technically, what counts as a stream of a movie or a TV show episode is two minutes. So that's very different from 50 million people bought a ticket to see this movie. It's, it's very different between 50 million people bought a ticket and went into a theater to see this movie and 50 million people watched at least two minutes of this movie. So somewhere down the line, it is not going to shock me at all if someone comes out and says, I'm no longer going to do a deal with Netflix unless I start getting data. If, if, we're, if we collectively, um, whether it's Tom Cruise or anyone else, uh, Jason Blum, uh, I heard him talking about this on CNBC recently, um, uh, and, and by this, I mean the fact that Netflix doesn't really share data. Um, it's not going to shock me if someone comes out and says, uh, if, if we're going to have to give up box office receipts as a data point, then in return, if you want our movie, we're going to need data. We're going to need to know much more precise data of who's watching because we want to get paid accordingly. Well, the, the proposition that has worked for Netflix so far is, we will share with you the data that we are going to share with you, and that is the size of the check that we are writing. And people are accepting that data package. I mean, just given the volume of stuff that is showing up on Netflix, there are plenty of people who are willing to take the, I will take that check in return for no more questions asked. They've. You're absolutely right about that. That's also been happening in a world where box office receipts are also an option. If box office receipts go away completely, I guarantee you that is going to change for Netflix and Amazon Prime and everybody else. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got an email from Glenn Hagen who says, I was wondering if you guys knew of any stocks in the non-dairy space. I'm 22 years old and I'm aware of the obsession of Starbucks and their oat milk and almond milk based drinks. So I'm curious if there's any investment opportunities there that's not Starbucks. It would be nice to capitalize on this trend that I believe will skyrocket in my lifetime. I like that Glenn is this engaged as an investor at the age of 22 and that he is thinking about these types of things. I'll just start by saying, because there is no obvious pure play investment in non-dairy uh, alternatives, you could do a whole lot worse than to buy shares of Starbucks while you're waiting for that non-dairy alternative pure play to appear. Yeah, I don't know what the avenue is for a good non-dairy play. The The war on big milk is not going to play out the way the war on cash uh, has for investors. This substitutes for big milk. Uh, first of all, milk has gotten its act together. Uh, over the last couple of uh, decades with their, their fat-free stuff. Uh, and the, there's just, where's the moat, I mean, for the alternatives between almond and soy and rice and, I don't know, coconut milk? Uh, there's just, uh, uh, you know, different different flavors. And the, if there are uh, brands that have wildly succeeded in, capturing any chunk of that market share, uh, I'd be surprised that they could keep it for very long. Uh, you know, you've got uh, white label stuff, you've got the private brands, you know, the Safeways and the grocery stores will move in and, and create uh, competitors where there's an opportunity to. Uh, so, I, I don't 
immediately see where the investment opportunity would be because I just don't see how there's going to be much of a moat uh, for any of it. Yeah, I mean, to your point about branding, it, it seems like the sort of thing that I, I, I could see if uh, a business like Beyond Meat or Impossible Foods got big enough and successful enough that they wanted to, like, it would be a natural extension of those types of brands. But I, I just don't, I just don't see it otherwise, and I also don't know that how big that market is. Um, uh, and and maybe Starbucks has some insight into that sort of thing, but um, yeah, I, don't, I it, it really doesn't seem like an opportunity yet. Well, and also, I mean, milk's got some advantages in that. Uh, say, as you you grow up, the, one of the first ideas that you're presented with uh, is, oh yeah, here's some life. This is this is critical for being alive. Is, uh, are you talking about almond milk? No, no, not talking about <laughs> almond milk. Right. Milk, it's, it's what keeps you alive. Um, you know, and it, it transitions until you, you get to the dairy, uh, cow's milk, or, you know, that, that we're talking about being replaced uh, at Starbucks. Uh, but I, milk is, is working with some huge advantages uh, in, in not just people's psyches, but in you know, your actual uh, physiology. Uh, also, pretty early in life, um, you know, maybe your toddler years, something like that, you get, you know, your, your preschool years. Uh, at some point, you get introduced to ice cream. And you're like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Wh- how, how do you make this? Well, you start with some milk. <laughs> and you make it really cold. <laughs> like, okay, that's another win for that milk. Yeah, yeah, milk's milk's um, got a, a, a long way to fall, I think, before it uh, is in any trouble uh, compared to the, the competitors. You're not betting against big milk. I'm not betting against big milk, but uh, you know, there 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 are alternatives. They are growing. They're not growing at a pace right now that uh, that interests me. But I I'm not the one putting soy milk into my coffee at Starbucks. There are people who are doing that, and um, it, it may be apparent to others that that is a growing trend in a way that hasn't hit my you know, my purchasing yet. Bill Barker, good talking to you. Go, uh, go get some more coffee. Were we, were we going to promo? Uh, oh, yes, nothing? real quick, yeah. Yeah, we uh, um, the last warning for for, for listeners. That, <laughs> this is uh, the last. The la- no, there will be another off ramp. You'll give them one more off ramp. Oh yeah, of course. When the episode drops, but yeah, uh, uh, on Monday, on a cold Monday afternoon, uh, Barker and I went to Bill Mann's house, uh, recorded an episode, uh, an apropos of nothing, that will uh, get published sometime this coming weekend. So, so just you know. Again, for for the 17 of you who are excited about this, um, uh, it's coming this weekend. And for the rest of you, just just know an episode is going to show up over the weekend because usually the last episode of the week shows up on Thursday. And this is, you know, this is the one week uh, where it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is going to it's going to show up. Don't be alarmed. Uh, You can delete it. Do not be alarmed. That is that. Do not be alarmed. All we need people to know. Thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. 
So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica, wearing sandals, lighting candles by the sea. I spent Shavuos in East St. Louis, a charming spot, but clearly not the spot for me. Those eastern winters, I can't endure them. So every year I pack my gear and come out here till Purim, Rosh Hashanah, I spend in Arizona. And Yom Kippur way down in Mississippi But in December there's just one place for me Amid the California flora I'll be lighting my menorah Like a baby in his cradle I'll be playing with my dreidel Spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica by the sea I'm spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica Wearing sandals, lighting candles by the sea I spent Shavuos in East St. Louis A charming spot, but clearly not the spot for me Those eastern winters, I can't endure them So every year I pack my gear and come out here to Purim, Rosh Hashanah I spend in Arizona and Yom Kippur way down in Mississippi But in December there's just one place for me Amid the California flora I'll be lighting my menorah Like a baby in his cradle I'll be playing with my dreidel Here's the Judas Maccabeus Boy, if he could only see us Spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica By the sea